Hey, welcome to episode 5 of Bleachmouth Postscript. My name is Larry. This is a podcast where I talk with people from Northeast Ohio about their five favorite pieces of music. They can be LPs, they can be EPs, they can be songs, they can be whatever it needs to be as long as we're talking about music. My guest today is Brittany Nader. She's a producer for 89.7 WKSU's Shuffle, which appears there every Thursday, as well as a standalone podcast. Brittany has also been covering music for the Akron Alt-Weekly Devil Strip for quite some time now, I believe since their second issue. Before that, Brittany had done her own fanzine in fifth grade with some female friends called The Mega Magazine, which led her to want to write, write about music professionally. Uh, she received her degree in journalism at Kent State University and um, is very, very passionate about music, so I was really eager to speak with her. We had a good time, covered a lot of ground, and I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I enjoyed chatting with Brittany. So let's talk about the wipers. You have a song here called Wait a Minute. Um, my experience with the wipers is pretty much like a lot of folks in that uh, even though the band Nirvana, I'm a little too old for the band Nirvana, I still was aware of them and aware of who they were listening to and their influences. And the wipers being from the Pacific Northwest were a big deal to them. So I became aware of them through that. Um where did you first hear the song wait a minute and why that song as opposed to say like a record because you for this one you picked a song the the other the other things in your list here you have lps but and it's okay you picked a song but (laughs) i'm just curious as to why you went for the song instead of the lp and how did you first become aware of the wipers yeah so i first became aware of them just like you said through nirvana i was a huge nirvana fan when I was like 13 or 14, around that age, um, just like dug into every single thing that Nirvana has ever said and done, all their influences, all their covers, all of that. I just wanted, I wanted that big like family tree of, okay, like, <laughs> why did you cover this band? You know, what influenced this so- the sound or the song, et cetera. Connecting so that's the dots. Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's how I found out about the wipers. Um, I don't think I would have had any other way of knowing growing up in green Ohio, like yeah. who they were. Um, but this particular song, I, I'm pretty sure I heard it at matinee, um, the one night. And I think you were there. So I, I just, when you asked me to do this podcast, that was the first song that popped in my head for some reason. Get burned. 
yeah, I mean, I don't think you're wrong in that. Uh, I think, you know, there are people older than myself that might, uh, you know, claim I'm blaspheming here, but as great as the wipers are, I don't think that they were nearly as widely known prior to Nirvana. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I've mentioned this to you before. Nirvana is probably uh, the biggest gateway band for underground music aside from Metallica, who didn't have the reach that Nirvana did. But you know, you can look at the Metallica EP, the 598 Garage Days, the first original one, and, and you can see where people were learning about bands from them. But Nirvana to a much greater extent because Kurt Cobain was so earnest and open about his influences. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anybody else on your list that you've, well, maybe not these other ones, but is there anybody else in particular that Nirvana really kind of um, opened you up to? Yeah, Nirvana was kind of my gateway into listening to Riot Girl, And really, now that I think about it, Riot Girl was kind of my gateway into punk um, <laughs> because, you know, I knew punk bands like the Ramones and the Clash and Sex Pistols, but I was like, yeah, like, it's just not for me as like a young girl. But I was like, oh, Riot Girl, like this speaks to me. Like they're cool. They're, they're girls up there like yelling and they have something to say in a point of view. Um, and Kurt Cobain was a big Riot Girl fan. He was friends with Kathleen Hanna, dated Toby Vale, who was in Bikini Kill. Um, and he had a K Records tattoo. They they had a lot of uh, Riot Girl bands on their label too. So so yeah, I guess Nirvana was my gateway into that. Who was your favorite uh, quote unquote Riot Girl band? Oh, that's hard. I guess Bikini Kill. I know that's kind of cliche, but really anything Kathleen Hanna has done is amazing. I saw um, her bands, uh, the Julie Ruin at Mahal's Mayhall's. I don't know the correct yeah, uh, I don't pronunciation, <laughs> but um, yeah, a few years ago and it blew my mind. I was like, this has to be what it was like to be at one of these Bikini Kill shows, you know, back in the early nineties. And I had tickets to see Bikini Kill last year. Obviously that show didn't happen. Um, but I just, yeah, I'm like very enamored with her. I think she's amazing. We're Bikini Kill and we want revolution. Girls don't
Yeah, I think um, I'm not a huge fan of the music necessarily for mm-hmm. of, of a lot of the Riot girl bands because it's just not my lane. But I've always been a huge um, admirer of that movement because I think that, you know, given the hyper aggressive nature of a lot of punk rock uh, post 1980-ish, I'd say, before that, it was a little more, it was way more inclusive because the audience was a little bit older and mm-hmm. smarter and a little more erudite, you know, they're, you know, um, but Riot Girl came at a point and kind of said, uh, not, nah, we're not doing this anymore and we're going to do it this way and deal with it, which, mm-hmm. you know, I really appreciated and admired, even if I wasn't necessarily a fan of the music, you know, I mean, I was able to separate the two and say, okay, well, I'm not digging the music but this idea that's pushing this narrative forward is perfect mm-hmm. i did like huggy bear a little bit there were mm-hmm. some tunes by them i liked um i don't know if they get caught if they're necessarily a riot girl band because i'm not up on all the ins and outs and the interconnectivity of it but i did like slater kenny quite a bit too yeah dig me out was a really great record and i love that one so mm-hmm. if they are indeed a riot girl band I like that one a lot. And Huggy Bear is pretty decent too. Um, not necessarily related to Riot Girl, but definitely related to Kurt Cobain because I know of his admiration of this uh, musician's work. I, Lou Barlow, mm-hmm. I do see you have Sebado Bake Sale on here. Tell me about that. Yeah, um, Sebado is one of my favorite bands. This is just one of my all-time favorite like Desert Island albums. Um, it's it's got this lo-fi sound that I love. Uh, the lyrics are like really self-deprecating, and it's just kind of a bummer album. But um, I first found out about it through Rob Sheffield, who's one of my favorite writers. He's written for Rolling Stone for years. He's written several books. Um, his newest books are about. Uh, he has one on the Beatles, one on Bowie. But before that, they were like memoirs about his life. And he had a book called Love Is a Mixtape. Um, where it was like his love story, but everything was like soundtracked by really good music. And so reading the book, I like wrote down the names of all the songs he mentioned so I could go find them and listen to them. And uh, Sebado's Skull, which is on Bake Sale, was one of his choices. So it's it's kind of like a romantic sounding song, but it's also weird and like gross and like doesn't really make sense like why it sounds so sweet for being such a weird song. But the rest of the songs on that album are just kind of like, I don't know, kind of that like stoner sludgy like bleh sound, but I like it. <laughs> there is history in this place. There are dragons to be chased. Though I don't know who you are. Easy flow. Charm in the way you hide Gently take my star for life And I don't know who you are But I know what I would like you to be 
downer music was that your uh was that your lane pretty much back then was like a lot of downer music in general oh yeah definitely and then i think this might have been a gateway for me to get more into lo-fi stuff which i like on spotify pretty much all my music that's recommended to me by spotify is like all lo-fi and i don't even know who any of the artists are and i was like sounds great love it so, um, so when when you say lo-fi, I know you said you don't even know the artists that are coming up on Spotify. <laughs> like I've heard that phrase for decades now, but I've never really investigated it. You know, throw some names at me that would somebody might consider lo-fi. Oh man, I, I you're gonna say this, okay, or ask this. Um, okay, so I would say this album by Sebado is a good place to start. Um, now, like the big thing a lot of people are listening to is like lo-fi hip-hop. So like lo-fi hip-hop beats, which I'm like, that's cool to put on like while I'm working or something like that. But um, none of those artists, I even really know who they are because it's a lot of producers and a lot of people making like bleep bloop sounds in their <laughs> basements or whatever. Um, let me think. Uh, so car seat headrest is pretty big, but some of their earlier songs are more lo-fi. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm a huge fan of like the early Liz Fair stuff. Okay. Like the girly sound tapes. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't think this 
that's like very bedroom pop kind of lo-fi um not as polished the vocals are like really muffled sounds like it was just recorded on like a little you know dollar store cassette recorder <laughs> so is it more of a recording aesthetic as opposed to a songwriting aesthetic do you think I would say so but um for the most part like in the case of Liz Fair it's like very intimate like it sounds like it's just her and a guitar in her bedroom with the door shut like nobody talked to me I'm recording a song um yeah I would say that but you know there is some lo-fi that kind of has that really lush sound but it's it's still like muffled so it almost has like in a weird way kind of that shoegaze quality where it's that just like whoosh, you know like that like lushness to it that you can't really pick out individual instruments or parts but it just has like a an aesthetic i guess okay almost like a a wall of sound but not big yeah like not smaller, produced as well <laughs> contained kind of like okay yeah i mean i mean i could suss out what lo-fi meant as far as production but i was just like thinking well what artists like really qualifies that it's not like i said it's not my lane i've never really gone uh and investigated much of that i've always been pretty aware of sebado uh primarily well i was never a skater but all of my friends did and it seemed to be like those guys and dinosaur jr were bands that skaters loved particularly in the 80s and not in early 90s like and i don't know if it was because they they may or may not have appeared on whatever promotional skate videos that were being you know peddled about at the time but sebado was a band that came up a lot uh in conversations with my friends however i am a huge mark for uh western masses uh one of their greatest hardcore bands deep wound Lose anxiety, son! which features jay massis and lou barlow mm -hmm. and is every bit as good as anything from the new england area the early 80s hardcore era it's just they're phenomenal and a lot of people look to those guys in the band uh, also from massachusetts but not boston uh, the band Siege, they look at Deep Wound and Siege as being kind of the precursors of grindcore. <laughs> Deep Wound less so, but Deep mm -hmm. Wound actually, you know, they were you know, hardcore bands are known for being fast deep wound was excessively so even in that context they were mm -hmm. but sebado i don't know a ton about i've heard them and um 
I have a sense about them, but I haven't lived with them. So I might have to, particularly after the description of that song, Skulls, because that sounds <laughs> sounds pretty uh, uh, pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to talk about you as a younger person because um, I'm always interested in that. I can I see some of the stuff on here that. Um, God, there's one I really want to talk about that I think is just going to be fantastic when we get to it. But um, like, what was Nirvana your first love or was there was there something else that really like when when did you like I keep using this phrase because it's appropriate. When did you really take ownership with music? Was it Nirvana or was it something else that, you know, did you uh, was was there a first love prior to that? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think when I was like real young, I I loved the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's pretty common, but I I loved it for reasons that I wish I still felt that way now. Like I was just like, this is so fun. Like the early stuff, I was like, this is just poppy. Like I want to hold your hand. This is like the best song I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> experimental Beatles, you know, because okay. it's more interesting. But I, I would say Nirvana is definitely, that was like 
my band. Like I had all their CDs, I wore them out. They're all scratched. Like you can't even listen to them anymore. And I was just so obsessed. That's when I was like, I want to read every interview they've ever done. I want to like collect all of their memorabilia. Like they are my favorite band. They are the best band ever. <laughs> it's, you know, it's funny because it's not that big of a stretch to go from the Beatles to Nirvana. I mm -hmm. mean, it's been well established that they were a huge influence. talk about the Beatles for a second because with them I've always been a songster mm -hmm. like there are songs I really really love there's only like one record I love top to bottom everything else I kind of just pick and choose yeah and in the eternal uh battle between Stones versus Beatles I'm always <laughs> going to be a Stones guy because it's just mm -hmm. how where my that's what I'm into um, you said you really like their experimental stuff. Are you talking like from Revolver on or even as early as like what Rubber Soul maybe? Yeah, I would Was say Rubber Soul that experimental. I don't re I haven't listened to it in years, so same here. Um, I'd say probably like Revolver and on like, the, you know, when they started getting more psychedelic, I thought that was really interesting. I don't listen to it so much nowadays, but I appreciate how influential it's been on like just culture as a whole and other artists, obviously. You said you wish you could love the uh, earlier stuff for the reasons you loved them when you were much, much younger. What, what prevents you from loving them that way? <laughs> um, I think I just analyze things too much now because back then I was like, this is just a good song. Like that's mm -hmm. all there is to it. And now I'm like, okay, let, why is it a good song? Let me think about this. And then I'm like, then to the point where it's like, this is too simple. Like, I don't like it anymore. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Is that is that based on your taste? Or do you think maybe some of what you do for a living has like informed that sort of in, uh, investigation of those songs? Definitely both. Um, I remember taking this really awesome history of jazz class in college and the professor was like talking about active listening um because he would play this jazz song and I was like sounds great I love it and he's like why and I was like just got a cool vibe like I just really like the song and he's like no you have to actively listen so then my brain now like will pick apart different things and then sometimes I just have to remind myself like you can just like a song 
Like yeah. there doesn't have to be a reason. It can just feel good. <laughs> I remember I, I sort of ruined, well, I ruined a band for Laura, my wife, your cousin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I ruined a band for her that, well, she didn't, I don't know, know that she actually even liked them that much to begin with, but I was listening to the police in the car mm-hmm. and I had it on shuffle. And I love, I love that band. And I am that dude who comes up with, well, this is my favorite drummer, right? Mm-hmm. And Stuart Copeland is my favorite drummer. The police are not my favorite band, but Stuart Copeland's my favorite drummer. I can listen to him play no matter what. And I told her, I said, listen to what he's doing just for a second. Just listen to it because what he's doing is deceptively difficult, um, really aggressive, even in her most pretty moments. He is aggressive as hell and um, tasteful. It's not mm-hmm. showy. Like it's difficult but he's, he's keep it's serving the song 20 minutes later. I, I think we were on a road trip 20 minutes later. She turned and she was, I can't listen to this anymore. I'm like, why? She goes, all I can hear are the drums. <laughs> she goes, all I can listen to are the drums. Once you pointed that out, that's all I can listen to. So she's like, no more police. And I'm like, okay. <laughs>
one up for me. Fuck that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I think I think most of the musicians I know are that way too. They they allow me to notice things in the songs I might not have noticed before. Um, I guess being a writer, like I'm very focused on lyrics a lot of the times, like they're one of the first things I notice. Um, but you know, if I'm hanging out with somebody like a drummer, for example, and they're like, oh, the drums are awesome. Or like, oh, the drums in the song, you can't even hear them. And I was like, there's drums, like who cares? But it makes me notice all these little things now where it's like, it, it feels more like a collage or something than just like, oh, that's just like a good song. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of times where I will like a band solely based on their rhythm section. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, um, Led Zeppelin is that band for me. I pretty much, the stuff I like by them, I pretty much only like because of the rhythm section. Mm -hmm. The rest of it, I can, it works to greater or lesser degrees, but um, you brought up lyrics. I'm a musician um, and I write words, mm -hmm. but I've never listened to a band with the intent on like the lyrics are almost an afterthought to me, even though that's my, what I do when I, when I'm actually doing that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, it's always been the drums and the bass. If, if they're mm -hmm. not, if they're not moving the song, I don't care. I don't mm -hmm. care what the singer's saying, you know, and I, I'm always pointing that part out of a band to somebody like all the best soul bands are great because the rhythm section is great. Mm -hmm. You know, all the best rock bands are great because the rhythm section is great. You know, and it's almost one hundred percent the case that that's that's where everything lay. You know, mm -hmm. um, so that's where you and I differ because you know you're a writer, so you're obviously looking at the lyrics. I am a writer in that I write lyrics, but I just don't. I, I mean in my, my teens and my twenties, I paid more attention Then after mm -hmm. a while. I was just like, yeah, I don't really, not that I don't care what they say, but that's the second thing I look at mm -hmm. almost all the time. So mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of, kind of curious. Do you, do you enjoy listening to music with, with musicians or does that become problematic for you because they start <laughs> over talking the song and pointing <laughs> things out? I guess it depends on the person and the artist. I mean, I have a lot of I don't even call them guilty pleasures anymore, but I have a lot of songs that are just kind of goofy that I enjoy. And like, I would never listen to this with like a musician. Cause like, I don't, I don't want them to pick it apart. I don't want to know, like, I just yeah. want to enjoy it. <laughs> and that that's a good way to be. I think the whole notion of guilty pleasures is um, it's absurd to me. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, people like what they like and I, there, there are certain bands that not because I, I don't want them picked apart, but because um, I want to enjoy the experience of listening to some something with somebody else that I won't play for the people. Like, mm -hmm. um, I love Steely Dan. Mm -hmm. I love them. I love Steely Dan. <laughs> I love Super Tramp. Love them. You're never going to catch me rolling to a show with our guitar player listening to Super Tramp or Steely Dan. <laughs> Wait, that's not true. With Dave, yes. Josh, no. <laughs> Josh will pick it apart. And it's mm -hmm. just no fun. Don't want to do it, you know? And I want him to enjoy what we're listening to as well. So yeah, um, I want to talk about this artist because I, I assume that this is not a guilty pleasure. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think it should be qualified <laughs> anyway. Mm -hmm. I'm not a fan of this artist, but I could see how somebody might, might be like, well, that's a guilty pleasure. I might not be a fan of, but, but I totally respect it. But Janet Jackson's the velvet rope um, is do you consider that a quote unquote guilty pleasure or something that you wouldn't play in front of one of your musician friends? 
That's a good question. I put this on here because it's definitely an outlier on my list, but it's one that I think I never really thought about music production that much in the past or like my whole life, really. Um, but this was an album that I was like, there's something going on here that's really interesting. And it it's like I, I started re-listening to this album maybe a year ago um, because I do enjoy R&B and I like this like subgenre of alternative R&B. Some people call it noir R&B, which is kind of silly, but I kind of like it also. Um, and I was like, this album has to have influenced a lot of this newer stuff that's coming out. Like, it sounds really interesting. It's darker. It's It's got like something going on here that's unique. And I was like, it's the production has a lot to do with it. And then I started seeing all these lists of like, you know, best produced albums, best produced pop and R&B. And that's always on the list. Was it Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis that did this one? I don't remember, but I'm gonna look it up. Those <laughs> those guys did a few records for her, and they were in the time with Morris Day. Oh, okay. Um, Renee, Elizondo, Jimmy Jam, and Terry Lewis. Ninety-seven. That's late, man. Mm -hmm. That's really late. I mean, and that's after either that was either after or concurrent with say like Erica Badu and Maxwell mm -hmm. and um my underrated favorite groove theory mm -hmm. um so i wonder if she was pulling from that or if they were co-inspiring each other so yeah i mean yeah i think she yeah it was around that like neo soul time mm -hmm. and i remember reading that she had like a an emotional breakdown and was going through a bout of depression. And she wrote a lot of these songs during that time. And there's a lot of interludes, which I normally am not a big fan of, but it makes this album feel like a story. And it it feels more like a concept album because um, I like I had control on a cassette that I used to listen to it like when I was a kid. I was like, this is very 80s. This is just dancey and fun, but it's also like empowering songs. This was more like vulnerable but it also had this like sensual side to it and i was like there's a lot of interesting stuff going on and i think i appreciate the velvet rope more now than i would have when i was younger i just feel like a lot of stuff she's talking about feels very real and very influential to a lot of um r&b artists now
practices as an artist I love now. And I'm like, oh, this is a song is totally a, a Jana Jackson song. I, uh, I heard her for the first time uh, listening to the Trolls World tour soundtrack. <laughs> My daughter loves that movie. And I'm like, I turned to, I turned to my son. I said, yo, this is actually a good song. <laughs> Looking at me kind of, I'm like, no, this is actually good. I mean, I like her voice. This is, it's a fun tune. You're preaching to the going to sit and rock out to that particular song but, <laughs> but it made me um look into some other stuff i heard some other stuff i liked i haven't mm -hmm. lived with i haven't lived with any of her stuff yet mm -hmm. um god i want to talk about neo soul i love that <laughs> stuff so much yeah um and d'angelo those the, the three main culprits were erica badu d'angelo and maxwell as far as i'm concerned yeah i mean there were others of course but that was like refreshing take on R&B that I was, cause I was put off by a lot of the stuff in the nineties. Mm -hmm. like, I'm not, I have a better perspective of it now, but like, you know, the Jodices of the world, <laughs> I was, I was like, this isn't me. I'm not, you know, this is not anything I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. And that throwback sound. And it wasn't really that much of a throwback. If you really think about it, um, because you compare them to the seventies records that they took influence from, and there's a, a marked difference, mm -hmm. you know, but those records were just fucking, fucking great. Um, yeah. I mean, do you, do you have one outside of the three I just mentioned that maybe you might steer somebody to, cause you seem like you really enjoyed that. Era. Yeah. I mean, those are the, the big ones. Let me think about this. Um, I mean, does Lauren Hill count? I love sure. her. <laughs> sure. She, she was, she was fantastic as well. Um, like I said, I really love that groove theory record and I like, I'm going to butcher her last name. I like Amel Leroux's, uh other records. I've got quite a few. When a man told his wife, baby, that's sorry, I can't stay. Living by kids, she was forced to become superwoman and go earn some pay. A college educated girl, washing dishes in a man's world. Now, look at this a degree, where you got mouth to feed, yeah. She is that girl, maybe you know, maybe you've been where you are today. And so, joy, yeah, where the year is, it's to the story you can relate. Giving something up, we always giving something up. We are giving something up. We always giving something up. We we are giving something up. We always giving something up. We 
Those are really good. Um, and I guess there's even a bit of a sort of a renaissance of that sound. And, and these aren't really recent artists necessarily, but like Jill Scott and mm-hmm. um, who's escaping me. Any anybody else come to mind other than the gold standard from that earlier time period of Neo Soul? Um trying to think of who else. I was yeah, I was thinking of Jill Scott, but I guess that was a little bit later. Um yeah, those are the only ones I could think of. I do love Erica Badu. <laughs> yeah, she's pretty great. Sisters, how y'all feel? Brothers, y'all all right? See how y'all grooved it. All right. I'm getting tired of your shit. You don't never buy me nothing. Every time you come around, you got to bring Jim, James, Paul, and Tyrone. See, why can't we be by ourselves sometimes? See, I've been having this on my mind for a long time. Oh, whoa, whoa, hold up, please. 
she has such a um subdued voice mm-hmm. and i that it's totally uh she doesn't sound like billy holiday but it evokes that sort of quality to mm-hmm. me to my ears um i guess they weren't considered neo soul but another another group i i was really into was uh the brand new heavies they, never heard them they um had a couple records they played on a lot of hip-hop records like they were a, an actual uh, band out of the united kingdom cool and they they did uh a couple records i think with fuck uh main source and maybe mm. brand nubian i'm not sure mm-hmm. but they they did some records and they had a couple different vocal, vocalists the one in particular i like a lot is uh dia davenport was really good so if you get a chance check out any of their records but particularly one with india davenport they're awesome. really good So let's let's switch gears and um, talk about a band that is much 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 loved, and I think they're working on a a documentary uh, currently. Uh, the Replacements, who are from mm-hmm. Minneapolis, mm-hmm. yes. How did you come to the Replacements? I was trying to think about this. How I first. Um got into them and I truly don't remember, but it had to have been something from Tim or one of those albums because I heard uh, my pick on this list. Sorry, Ma, forgot to take out the trash. I heard this album later. Um, and I was like, they have kind of like a, a punk thing going on, but they're very pop, um, very like digestible. I, I read some books about them and I was like, these guys like they're crazy their songs don't sound like that like what is going on here and then i heard this and i was like oh yeah they are a punk band but i think this album um stands out because it came out around the time of like um some of the hardcore bands like minor threat black flag um it doesn't sound anything like those bands but it still it still fits in like it's loud and fast and aggressive but um it's kind of has like a silliness to it that I like. So yeah, it's it's my favorite.
So you grew up in Canton? Green, technically. Green. Okay, green. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Green. Um, I'm kind of circling back a bit because I'm still curious about what you're, because we've kind of pretty much almost gone over everybody in your list except for one. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm just real curious because um, it strikes me in our in our very, you know, few conversations because we're always like passing ships in the night. We've never really <laughs> spent a significant amount of time together. Mm-hmm. But it, you, it, you always struck me as somebody who went through, uh, for lack of a better phrase, an emo phase. <laughs> and I don't know if you've actually referenced that to me or if you've sort of just flippantly made a joke about it in the past in one of our conversations brief as though they were did mm-hmm. you have did you have that moment in your younger years teen years um as a teen I was just very emo so okay. I'm still I am emo um because <laughs> I'm emotional <laughs> but <Okay. laughs> um it's funny because like I think there's two different types of emo. So when I was a teenager, like my chemical romance got pretty big. Um, This like MySpace, like new wave of emo. So that's what a lot of my friends and my peers were listening to was like these like scene bands or emo bands like that. And like 30 Seconds to Mars, who I really dislike, but it was like (laughs) that kind of era. I did see them in Kent one time and it was, it was entertaining, but not my thing yeah um so at first I was like rejecting it because I was like this is like popular so I don't want to like it because I'm a teenager and I'm annoying in that way but then I was like oh I do actually like this and then I was like I kind of look like that guy from my chemical romance so maybe I should just go with it but um emo before that um I never really listened to it until like later like maybe just a few years ago um and I feel like I would have identified with that earlier stuff a lot more as a teenager than the the stuff that my friends were listening to what are some of the reference points you're thinking about when you talk about earlier emo because to me I can tell you what bands come to mind when when I think of it Mm -hmm. and their actual general reaction to being labeled emo was pretty uh they were pretty anti that um but what what bands were you thinking about um, there's one band right now that I, I like, it's right on the tip of my tongue and I can't think of it. So I'm curious about your list. Cause it might be on it. Well, uh, you know, uh, rights of spring mm-hmm. embrace. Mm-hmm. So, and those bands sound markedly different than the bands you mentioned the, my chemical romance and a lot of these other bands, which have like a much more romantic, you know, I mean, like it's sort of a goth aesthetic, but it's not goth in the way that I understand it. Yeah. You know, it's not goth in a Bauhaus 45 grave death rock sort of thing, which is, I'm all on board for that. I might not look it, but I love that stuff. But the the bands you mentioned are, are way different than the original bands that I knew of as being called emo. And they rejected the tag altogether. Mm-hmm. So what what reference points were you thinking about? So the band I was thinking of that I couldn't remember was Sunny Day Real Estate. Okay, yeah. That That's like a, a band name I've always heard and I never really listened to them when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. But like in my 20s, I listened to them. And I was like, this is cool. This isn't like emo to me, but I like this a lot more.
let's talk local bands because mm-hmm. you cover that that's what you cover you cover local bands and um i've always i've been saying for years that there has been a significant music scene post uh the akron sound era which mm-hmm. by all rights gets tons of attention mm-hmm. tons of attention and it should because that's amazing stuff yep but there there was a little bit of a valley in the 80s with you know music but i'd probably say from the 90s on the akron area and i'll include kent in that has had a a wealth of bands of really any genre you could imagine and i think right now it's it's reached like critical mass as far as like the number of sheer number of artists um and I say critical mass, which would imply that it's going to implode. I think COVID is going to do a lot of damage. I think that at the end of this, that a lot of bands just aren't going to exist. It's mm-hmm. just, that's just, I think that's just going to happen. People are going to move on with their lives for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But currently, you know, give me some highlights as far as like local bands. I could, I could sit here and tell you the ones I'm really into, mm-hmm. but um, I'm curious to hear which ones you are really enjoying. Yeah. Um, you know, something I, I think is interesting about the local music we cover is that it's all over the place as far as genres go. But another interesting thing about it is a lot of the musicians from like the Akron, Kent, Cleveland, Canton area, they collaborate with each other. So there's, I don't know if, if that's the case in a lot of other cities where there's just all of this like collaboration where you look at an album and you're like, oh, this person played bass. They're from this other band I know from the area. Oh, this person produced it. And they're also in this other band. Like there's a lot of that going on. And I think the community is really strong. It's really, I I think there's like a lot of talent in the area. Um, But, you know, when I was a teenager, like growing up in green, my friends in high school had bands. They were like fine. But if I really wanted to go to a show, I'd go to Akron or Kent um, to see local bands or Cleveland if I wanted to see like a bigger concert. But Akron was really close. So it was easy to see those bands. And so I kind of got like into the music scene then in a way. Um, A lot of those bands don't exist anymore. But some of the people from the bands are playing in bands these days. But anyway, all that's to say, one of the bands on my list is um, Kobe and the Prisoners. There's a place in the back of my mind Like a bad part of town You don't want to fool around In your car on a sunny drive The window's down Reaching out for another life I strain my eyes while you comb your hair, babe We don't have much to spare Cause I can feel it Strange feeling 
so don't have to think Your eyes roll back over the kitchen sink the Dover, New Philadelphia area. Okay, which, I did. I didn't know that. I didn't know we were going with mm-hmm. this. I didn't even. Okay, but go ahead. yeah. <laughs> but, sure. but um, you know, I guess my point with that is like, I don't know what the music scene is like there in particular, but they play out in like you know Canton, Akron, and stuff. Um, I kind of got exposed to them that way, and just through like other musicians I know and friends of friends, and they're. Like they're one of my favorite bands in this album. Everyone that I had on my list is um, it's really great. And I put their songs on playlists with like other national bands that I like because I it sounds just as good to me. So they're definitely a standout and I, I want to hype them up as much as I can because they're really, really good. Cool. Any other notables past or present that you might be really kind of a bit of a sucker for? <laughs> um. So they're not even like in the area anymore. So I don't know if this is blasphemous, but if these trees could talk from Akron. Yep. I'm aware of them. Yeah. And they, they, um, 
they kind of sound like explosions in the sky or something like that, like instrumental post-punk kind of stuff. Um, I saw them a few years ago at Musica and it was, it just reminded me why I love them. I was like, they're so good. I wish they still lived here so that I could see them more.
yeah, they they were they were around. Um, I want to say the early to early to mid aughts, mm-hmm. uh, between two thousand and two thousand six, when, um, you know, the lime spider and Annabelle's at that time were central to what was going on in the city. From my perspective, from my perspective, they were central to what was going on in the city. And the cool thing about both those venues, but particularly Lime Spider, was you could have a band like If These Trees Could Talk and they would play with any other number of bands of varying styles. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of that has to do with one, as you've pointed out, to use a vulgar phrase, the scene's very incestuous. <laughs> it's very like, you know, I mean, and it currently is. I mean, mm-hmm. um, not to talk about myself too much, but the guys in my band, uh, our drummers in four bands, our mm-hmm. bass players in three, our guitar player is in three, you know, so it's, it's very, that's just how it works. But back mm-hmm. then, even more so, cause it felt much smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that speaks to the Midwest in general. And I think that being from smaller towns, you know, people, um, are more, uh, creative and they tend to, they tend to find ways to make it work it doesn't come as as easy part of making it work is everybody being in each other's bands everybody producing each other's records everybody you know supporting each other in some some fat form or fashion is there competition of course there is there's mm-hmm. always going to be there's always going to be you know and that's fine too because you know god damn it if i'm playing a show and the band before me really goes for it uh i guess i have to really <laughs> go for it twice as hard you know yeah. but that that's healthy you know mm-hmm. just like the working together is healthy because of the interconnectivity of all the bands and stuff and uh do you find that makes your job uh covering them on shuffle or in the devil strip easier or more difficult hmm that's a good question i would say easier just because it's almost like that word of mouth thing um but harder in the way that it's like, we don't want to, you know, have the same person on every week because they happen to be playing in seven bands that we want to talk about. So we have to be kind of creative, but there, I feel like we never run out of ideas. So, you know, whether that somebody has a side project and they're collaborating with somebody, well, that's a new thing. You know, it's not the band we already had on, but we could talk to, you know, the person they're collaborating with. We don't have to talk to them again necessarily. Um, yeah, I mean, it gets difficult in the way that it's a small area. And so some of the the really big bands that people want to hear about, like, when are they coming out with a new album? When are they playing a show or whatever? It's like, we, we already talked to them a couple of months ago, so we don't want to do it again necessarily, but we still want to like get the word out. Um, but like I said, there is so much like side projects, collaboration and all that stuff that there's always like some kind of angle we can find. So aside from the obvious uh, conversations you have um, during the COVID era regarding like uh, venues closing, the -hmm. lack of live events, the lack of bands playing out, um, has it, do you feel that that that's made your covering the music itself more difficult or has it, have you noticed any difference at all? Because I know, broadly speaking, I know a lot of bands, not necessarily locally that are really putting the foot to the floor and releasing a lot of stuff. 
Do you feel mm-hmm. that's the same locally or do you feel there's been a bit of a hiccup with that? I mean, what, what are you seeing with regards to output uh, in light of the fact that nobody's playing? Yeah, I think in the beginning when all this happened, I was like, what are we going to do? Because some of the ways I would find bands is going to shows and talking to people or there's a band in the lineup I never heard of or saw before. And I was like, we should have them on They're They're really interesting. Um, so I feel like I was nervous in the beginning that I wasn't going to have any ideas, but we've seen a lot of people putting out new albums um, or singles or, you know, uh, weird <laughs> like the experimental videos and music um, during this time. And I feel like people have adapted pretty quickly. Um, some people are are on hiatus right now and that's just how it's gonna be because they're like, we're live bands. Like we, we're a big band. We like to get in the studio together. We're not gonna like do this remotely. That's just not the way we operate, which is totally understandable. But others are like, hey, I'm just sitting at home with nothing to do. Like I'm writing songs. I'm like working on some things. I'm, you know, Zooming with this other person who I've always wanted to work with and we're talking about some ideas. So I think just in our age of social media and, you know, digital platforms and stuff that it's a lot easier. Um, You know, if this all would have happened in like the late 90s, I'm not really sure (laughs) what people would have done, but um, yeah, I, th- I think in the beginning, it's like everyone's like, let's join together and make a an at-home album. So we were seeing a lot of that in the beginning. Then everybody just got kind of over it. They're like, come on, when is this going to end? Like, I'm so sick of this. And now it's kind of picking back up because it's like, this is sort of our new normal. So let's just make it work. Yeah. If you're a, a betting person, and I know you're not an epidemiologist, <laughs> I'm not asking you to make any firm, <laughs> firm uh, predictions because um, I have my own theories about how it's going to pan out. Look, I think that the epidemic is going to be with us for a number of years to come. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we're going to be living with this for a while. But given the fact that people seem to have little regard for public safety, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm going to say it. I'm going to be political. They have little regard <laughs> for public safety. Do you yeah. think that there's going to be a turning point where people just say, F it? We're going to start having more shows. I know there are some places that are doing it in mm-hmm. a very limited format. Um, and I'm not here to indict them or litigate that at all. But mm-hmm. do you think do you have do you have a sense of when you think people are going to be kind of ready to get out and try to do it given that there's a vaccine available? Because I know yeah. a lot of I know a lot of booking agents are now starting to kind of, you know, put their feelers out there. So right. I feel like some local venues who have the ability to do outdoor shows might start looking into that for the summertime, um, socially distanced shows, but still like we, we have these regulations in places where in place where bars can't be open past 10 AM. So, you know, even if people, if things started looking good, but those regulations are still in place, they're like, let's have a show, you know, in July, but it's inside and it might run late because it's Annabelle's or something. It's like, that's not going to work. Like everyone's just, it's just going to be a big mess. Um, I would love personally, like all the concerts I had tickets for last year that got postponed. I would love to see those happen this fall, but if it's not safe to do it and if I can't get a vaccine, like I'm not going to go. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. It's a bummer. <laughs> I have a lot of friends saying it that they're like, oh, I think the fall is when it's gonna happen. And I have other friends saying, I'm I'm thinking 2023. 
and friends actually <laughs> saying that. And, and I, I really, I really don't know. I don't, one of actually one of two things will happen either people will be real skittish even once it's safe and shows are still going to take a hit for a while mm-hmm. or there's going to be a huge wave of big shows for bands that normally you know don't play big shows and then it's going to die off mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's going to go one of those two ways and i'm just you know um as a person who plays in a band, I'm not real eager to play in front of people. Yeah. I'm not even, actually, I'm not even real eager to get out there and play my records. Either. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not, I mean, I mean, I'm eager to do it, but I'm not willing to do it anytime soon. I, I can wait. Mm-hmm. You know? um, hopefully people will, uh, you know, continue to pa- practice restraint and uh, use their best judgment when it comes to all that. And that's my, so <laughs> moment for the day well it was awesome talking to you yeah thank you so much for having me on this was and, really good chat yeah and um you know uh hopefully we'll be able to do it again and uh you know hopefully i'll see you sometime in the outside world i don't know when that'll happen but <laughs> hopefully and uh i appreciate you taking time to talk with me yeah thank you do you have next anything, time do you have anything you want to plug I mean, I'll probably plug it in the intro, but you might do a better job for me. So, <laughs> um, you know, I am a producer for Shuffle on WKSU. It's available as a podcast. You can listen to our episodes on demand, but we're really revving up that aspect of it right now. So you can listen to it every other Thursday on WKSU on the radio, but you can also listen to it on demand. And we're going to try to be putting the podcast episodes out more frequently and it's interviews with local artists it's um you know if there's like i don't want to give this away well i don't know when this will air but we're we interviewed an author um for this week's episode but she writes about music so all different things um no one topic it's just kind of all over the place but it's all northeast ohio music related so that's what i've been working on cool well thanks again i appreciate it yeah thank you very much All right, that's it. Thanks for Brittany for hanging out and chatting with me for a little while. Hey, if you're into the social media thing, you can visit us on Instagram at Larry underscore Bleachmouth, Facebook at Bleachmouth Postscript, or emails bleachmouthps at gmail.com. We have no Twitter because Twitter is fucking annoying. Anyway, uh, we'll see you again in two weeks. Thanks for checking us out. Yeah.